Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Hey, Lisa Rubin. Hey, Katie Harms. Pretty sassy today, Katie. I'm feeling sassy. Sassy's a good word. I have a question for you. Uh-oh. In your mind, how old are you? Hmm. Depends what day and when I wake up and what hurts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you're sitting there. Nope. Okay, so take all those qualifiers away. When know. you're locked and loaded and you're you're firing on all cylinders. I would probably tell you that I'm in my early 40s because I really went through a lot to get to my 40s and learned a lot. And I felt like I was in a really good place in my 40s. And the stuff I learned in my 40s, I still take with me every day. How about you, Katie? I I feel the same way. I just feel like that's where I came into my time of really knowing who I was in my 40s and feeling confident in myself. Not always, not in every way, I think that's taken to get into my sixties, which is interesting because then the the lead up question is what changes other than that number? And we're not talking the physical stuff. You know, there are physical ailments that happen and things that you figure out as you go along, but really what are the significant changes when we get to this point in life where it's not the I don't give a damn years of life, but in a way, what happens when you hit the 60s? Yeah, I think about that a lot. I think one of the things for me and what I tell like clients who are, you know, in their late 40s, 50s, first of all, perimenopause happens and that's a whole nother thing, right? But that's a mental game. It can be a physical game and it can be how we look in the mirror and all the changes that happen. Okay. But when you get through that and your hormones kind of settle down or you don't have any at all, you, you decide who you really want your friend base to be. I am pretty particular about who I share myself with, especially no. now, especially now that I, when I'm in my sixties, I don't have time, excuse me for the bullshit and the drama and all of the stuff that comes with it. And I just know that if I see that coming, I'm like, nope, not happening. You know, I'll be kind and I'll be nice, but don't want them in my inner circle. And my inner circle doesn't have to be very big anymore. You know, I've got my family. I'm a grandmother now. They're the priority. I'm married. And um, that's my, my base, right? And then I have, and I try to now circle myself amongst women and men who I can always learn something from. And that they can be in my back pocket or I can be in their back pocket. So I think that has been the biggest significance for me coming into my 60s. I, I couldn't agree more. I think organically the friendships happen too, as long as you're not trying to push them or make them something they're not or have expectations. I think the expectations are what changes an awful lot too having them for people. You just take people at where they're at because everybody goes through stuff at their life. 
it throughout their lives too, right? And when you get into your 60s, it's a whole different different thing. I think having friends of different ages is really wonderful for me. That's There's the a woman, one thing I learned from my grandmother, who was my best friend growing up. And she lived to be in her early 90s. And she always had friends that were younger than her. And she always said, honey, you make sure that you have friends in all different age categories your whole life, because it will keep you younger. And I have never forgotten that. And I do. I have very close friends that are a lot younger than me and that hopefully they learn something from me, but I'm learning stuff from them every day. I agree. And our kids, it's amazing, right? How much we learn from our kids. Well, they probably, right. They, right. We don't want them to know too much. <laughs> they don't learn anything from us though, right? No, not anymore. <laughs> it appears not. No, I, I think really... If you sit back and look at it, raising your kids, you put your heart and soul into that for so many years. And it's it's hard to stop giving advice because that's just a natural thing. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? I remember once one of the girls looking at me and saying, mom, I don't need you to solve it. I just need you to listen. And so I think I follow that mm, 80% of the time. I'm sure I'm going to hear back from this podcast that that's, you know, maybe a little less than 80% of the time. But what I think is so incredible is that you raise these young people and they go out into the world confident and do what they're doing. And you sit back and go, wow, I did what I wanted to do. And now it's up to them to determine how they're going to take that on. Exactly. And I think that's part of the process of reflecting in your 60s is that when you're proud of what you have done, and if one of the things that you wanted to do is create beautiful people (laughs) in the world that are going to go out and do something good in the world, and you feel like you've accomplished that, to me, that is incredible. It is contributing members of society. That's what I always said that, that I was raising. I wanted them to be happy, healthy, contributing members of society. Well, we're talking about our sixties. We're talking about aging because we have Melissa Davey on, and she is a documentary film producer who has produced a a documentary, funny enough, called Beyond 60. But before we welcome her on, we have some really exciting news. We are so excited to bring on Continental Diamond as a sponsor. They are the cream of the crop and they cater to men and to women. And with the holidays coming up, I highly recommend that you go if you are looking for any jewelry, accessories. They are wonderful, honest people, and they have a great staff. They do, Lisa, and their service department is first rate all the way. Listen, there is a reason why Continental Diamond has been voted Minnesota Bride's Best Jewelers for 13 consecutive years. You can get a taste of what Continental Diamond is about by visiting their website, continentaldiamond.com, or stop in their St. Louis Park location adjacent to the West End and only five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis. And now let's welcome Melissa Davey. Melissa Davey, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast, View in Your Mirror. We're beyond excited to learn about your story, to learn your story. My story. <laughs> well, <laughs> I really appreciate you having me. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. It'll be a fun time. 
you know, Lisa and I both are always looking for people who makes sense to have on the podcast. I have said often that I think everyone has a story and it's just getting, getting to what, getting to if they can tell it or not to what would make them a great guest to come on and talk to us. And we're looking for people who do different things or who can, who we can glean information as we were leading into this, we were talking about always making sure to have older and younger friends because we're constantly learning. Right. Absolutely. So I think, I think I found you, I was scrolling through the internet at one point. I'm not even sure what platform, right? This is like when you see a commercial and you think it's a really great commercial and you can't remember what they were advertising, but this, I know what was being advertised. I just don't remember where it was. And it was a documentary called Beyond 60. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I pulled it up and watched it. And I needed to know more. And so here you are. Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start back before, before you ever thought to be a documentary producer. Mm -hmm. Give us a snapshot of where you came from. Okay, well, I'm 72 now, so it's it goes back a ways. But (laughs) anyway, I was, you know, I grew up in a middle class family with five kids, second oldest, and we moved a ton. Uh, And when I say that, I I mean that before I was out of high school, I had moved 13 times. Wow. So different states, different cities, etc. And uh, so I was always very uh, curious about how I was gonna fit into the next location that we were moving to. And that's when I found my love of storytelling. So listening to stories, finding kids, finding families that I could hang out with and um, become friends with was key every time I moved. So from that early time, I was interested not only in stories that people would tell me, but movies as well. So from the time I was a little kid, I remember paying 35 cents to go to the Saturday matinees um, and with my friends. I mean, we were allowed to go by ourselves when we were nine um, because it was just a different world back then. But fast forward, you know, I moved a lot, went through school, et cetera, finished that, thought I was going to be a teacher, um, but eh, it wasn't quite up my alley. Got married young, had children young, got divorced young, Um, and basically raised my kids on my own for a while um, and remarried later in life. When I say that, I mean in my 40s. So, you know, my whole life has been this circuitous kind of route. It was never terribly planned out. Um, And, you know, schooling, I, I pasted it together as I moved forward with my kids and, you know, moving along myself. And, You know, I got into the nonprofit world, and that was much more exciting than the teaching uh, piece that I tried. Uh, And I got into legal services, and I was in legal services for 12 years as a paralegal and a national trainer for their attorneys and paralegals. And that's where I fell into disability law and the love of disability and how it works and how we can help poverty uh, individuals get on disability benefits, et cetera, and help them get back to work through return to work programs. So I did that for a long time. And then, you know, it was getting to the point where 
you know, what am I going to do here? Am I going to stay in a nonprofit salary as a single person with kids that are going to go to college eventually? Or what is going to happen? And just by thinking about it and being open uh, in the public and with people that I knew, I uh, was recruited then to a for-profit company to take the same skills that I had learned in legal services and bring them into the for-profit arena. And I ended up there for more than two decades. And you know, I worked for a company called GenX, which is a national case management company. And they brought me in to build and operate their disability business uh, for their disability insurance carriers. And, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing at that point. I knew disability. I knew Social Security. I knew the law inside and out. But I had never really built a, uh, a for-profit model before. So that was an interesting part of my life, uh, learning how to do that. The pitfalls, failing and learning from your failures and getting up and moving forward. And I got really good at it. And, you know, and I was there for, like I said, more than two decades um, and had a very successful career there uh, and did a nationwide program. It was even international um, going up into Canada and over into um, England. And, you know, and I loved it. I loved it, loved it. And there was no ageism in, in our company, which is an unusual thing. Uh, I had experienced it with customer companies that I worked with nationwide. I've seen it. I'm aware of it. Um, but it, I didn't experience it. And our company was built with very, you know, like more than 50% of the people that were in management in the case management world were women. So, and I think that came from the fact that many of them were nurses. So, um, you know, I grew up in this environment first in legal services that was, you know, equality was a training that we would have from day one, you know, talking about equality and men and women are the same and pay scales are the same. So I grew up with that early and that parlayed into the for-profit world. And I feel very fortunate that I had that experience. But then, you know, you're sitting there and you realize that you're coming up on 65. And again, no pressure to leave the company whatsoever, but we were being bought out again. So I've been on that rodeo a few times um, where we were bought by private equity. And there's an, I was on the executive team at that point, uh, vice president in the company. And uh, there's a lot of work that goes into uh, developing every, all, all the criteria and information that you need for the sale. Um, it takes a lot out of you. So I thought, oh, that made me sit down and do an inventory and think about where do I really want to be at this point in my life? And is my life over? Is this, does this mean 65 you know, at this point, you're supposed to retire? Or is there something else? And, you know, when I sat there and actually thought about it, I, I knew that I didn't want to walk into nothing. I knew that I probably wanted to stop doing this because I wasn't uh, willing to say, okay, I'll sign up for another five years. That, that made me a little bit nervous because I was thinking, gosh, I'll be 70 and still doing this. And who knows what your health is going to be at 70. Luckily at 72, I'm still kicking. But, you know, <laughs> sitting there 
and just doing this inventory of all the things that you wish you had tried, but you had never really given notice to you, you would shrug it off saying, oh, that's a fantasy, or I'm not trained for that, or, you know, I have no experience, how could I possibly, but you know, something about being 65 and building a successful business, which again, in the beginning, I failed miserably at many of the attempts to make it a perfect business. Um, I realized that, well, you know, everything you do is new. Anything that you try is something new. And so what's the fear about? So what if you don't do well, uh, you know, on your first step out of the door, why wouldn't it be worth trying? And I think as you get older, you get a little more relaxed with that question you know, like, why am I so scared? You know, what really could happen? I could fail, maybe. And then if you fail, you could just go on to the next thing. So sitting there, I was coming up with this list. And then a couple of things happened that just solidified uh, the thought that I need to make a change. I, I want to do something else. I'm still alive and well, and I want to learn how to do something else. So I went through the list, crossed off all the things that seemed really pie in the sky, or it would take me too long to figure out. And I kept coming back to filmmaking. And filmmaking was something that, again, when I uh, mentioned it earlier in our discussion, um, I was going to the movies at a very young age and I was fascinated by how they told stories and how those stories made me feel. And I've always had a connection to anybody who tells me a story because you tell me a story and it could change the way I think or feel about something. And I think that's something we all need to be open to. So this filmmaking thing came up and then, you know, a couple of things happened at work to solidify the fact that yes, maybe this is time for me to go. And then ending up uh, a day on the set with a famous director, completely out of the blue, um, really set me on the path to say, I'm going to try to make a film. That's incredible. Some things I want to pull out from that, because it's very interesting that you, and, and a lot of the things that happen through our life happen because we're in certain situations or we've had those conversations or whatever, like you say, and then it takes on a life of its own. You said something very interesting, working in legal services you, it was all about the law. So you really got it from that standpoint. When, when you first started experiencing the ageism, I think probably a lot of us have experienced it a lot earlier because we didn't come at it through law. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then when you came into that, the new company, when you came into Gen X, well, first of all, this is boy, this is uh maybe I'll cut this part out. Me fumbling to ask a question <laughs> the rambling that's the wonderful thing about editing right yeah, um, it's great <laughs> when you got to gen x and what got you to gen x i love the fact that you were very open in talking to people about what you had envisioned or or asking questions to determine what would be the next right step without fear of how that was going to affect what you were doing at that time. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's a big one. We as women, I think, tend to keep things more under the belt. Yeah. For fear oh, of not I, having something to go to. 
I think you're right. And, and you know what? I've just always been a really curious person. And I've always been curious about myself and why I react certain ways or, you know, why did I do that in my life? And why did that happen? And what could I do to improve upon that? So no matter what I was doing in life, I think I was always evaluating, you know, what was my next step going to be? Was this going to be it? Was I satisfied where I was? And one of the things that I wasn't, I was, no, I won't, I won't say I wasn't afraid to do it. Um, and that is to speak up and ask questions and push. Um, I, I knew that in order to move forward, I had to do that. So I had to get comfortable with that. And that, and you know, when I was in legal services, I was in my twenties and thirties. And I was much more reserved with my ability to yell out something that I wanted loudly because I would be seen as a screaming woman or a demanding woman or, you know, somebody who should be told to be quiet, you know, because we're, we're all told to be quiet, I think, uh, as women, young women uh, growing up. It's, you know, women should be quiet and calm and nice and sweet. Well, I think I always knew that that was not accurate. Um, and I was uncomfortable playing the role. So in legal services, it was easy for me to kind of be loud because the men and the women were very equal. And they would encourage, the men would encourage me to go after that next job and go above what it was that the, the man in the office was doing. Go ahead, go, go for that. You're really good at it. So I had a lot of support there. And, and I knew that in order to be seen as somebody who had some expertise in a field, that you had to be out there, that you had to show yourself. And so within the legal, national legal services community, I put myself in the position, uh, or I didn't put myself there, but I created a, a path for me to become a national trainer for attorneys and paralegals. And I thought that's gonna give me more credibility. Um, and people won't see me just as a woman that's doing this work, but as a, an equal, a person that can do this work, knows it. And, and it was really important to me to, to do that. And because of that, because I got comfortable enough to push that in my 30s, late 30s, by the time I was uh, 40s, early 40s, Gen X had heard about me. They were looking to build a social security division within the company. And they didn't even know what it was. So they were going out to look for expertise. And how my name came up, honestly, is still, I, I don't even know who told them about me, but they came and found me at a conference and they said, hey, we've heard about you and this is what we want to do. Um, and, and would you come in and, and talk with us about building this for the company? And, and at that moment, I couldn't even imagine how could you do poverty law in a for-profit organization? So I didn't think it fit. And I sort of wrote it off as, well, that, that doesn't even make sense. But after sitting with them and understanding what they were looking for, I was challenged to figure out a way to take what I had learned in legal services and try to learn about the for-profit world where all the money is, 
and parlay that. And at the same time, put myself on a pathway that would be brand new and probably help me then fund my children's college expenses um, in, in a much better way than if I had stayed in legal services. So, so there's this, you know, I, it's just being curious and being open and seeing, always, always looking at where you are and trying to figure out what else relates to this and what else might I be doing? Because one of the things that always worried me was becoming stale and becoming unhappy in a job that I was in or a relationship that I was in. I didn't want that to happen. And I wanted to make sure that I was always looking at what were the other possibilities related to who I am today and how can I get better at who I am today to take me into tomorrow. I don't know if that makes sense. Did you have a mentor in your like 30s and 40s that you still remember today that kind of helped you guide you or someone that you went to to ask the questions that you were thinking about and you knew you would get an answer that maybe you'd learn from or that you know you would con confirm yep I'm doing it right I mean did you have mentors male or female I did not have a mentor but I will tell you that I sought out mentors as needed along the path both male and female and they were people that had been in my jobs or above me um, uh, with more experience who could tell me whether they thought that I was out of my mind. That's, that's most, most of the time it was asking them, do you think I'm crazy that I'm having this thought that I wanna move in this direction? Do you think I have what it takes from your experience with me and, and the good, the bad and the ugly? Do you think that I could possibly go there? And I always had friendships with these people and they were so supportive and so honest. Um, and, and I always tell people, I mean, I've mentored many people in my lifetime now, and I always tell people, look for your mentors. It might not just be one. Uh, there may be many, and you, meet, you may need to seek out different ones, depending upon which way you want to go. Yeah, I think that that's really important. And I've done that personally my whole life. I've always found a mentor in whatever situation that I wanted to move forward in. And um, I think it's very helpful and people shouldn't be afraid to find those relationships because yes. a re relationships is what it's all based on. So absolutely. And, and that's, that's true in life. Don't you think right. that, Agreed. you yes. know, everything that you do for me anyway, is not just calling somebody and getting some information from them, but getting to know who they are and understanding their story that's that curiosity and how that fits with me so i can better understand what what is my ask for these people well right. you know what should i be asking of this person um and and from getting to know them many times it's built long-term relationships which and when have been you, wonderful right and when you find out their story right yes you sometimes have this aha moment and you think wow that's exactly why A, B, C, and D is happening or is going to happen, or yes, this is why they are the way they are. And yeah, I mean, yes, everybody has a story. Everybody. 
And the more story, I mean, stories really can, it sounds like a cliche, but stories can change the world if people listen to them and take exactly. them to heart. You exactly. Know? And, and we can become better people the more people we, we move towards and listen to and, and try to understand without judgment. Exactly. So, I mean, me, right. Exactly. Me being a wardrobe consultant, I have to find out every woman's story before I help them. Yes. Because their story is how they look in their mirror, their view in their mirror. That's right. And until I find out what that story is, I can't be the best person to help them have a better view in their mirror. Oh, so what my whole business point. has been based on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that might you know, be your quote of the day, Lisa. <laughs> we're we're going to leave that thought right there for a second. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to pay homage to Rustica Bakery. So stay tuned. On the View in Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market and Southdale Center next to Lifetime where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking either online or in store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the take and bake cookies. Available online or in-store. Truly a capstone for any get-together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate, a memory to make. We highly suggest you always have these in your freezer. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. And we are back. And Lisa, you just talked about really dialing in and listening to stories so that you can really help people the most effectively. And what the things that kept coming into my mind as I was listening to you, Melissa, tell your story was your ability to listen you're very self-directed your ability and desire to ask questions that curiosity and also the self-reflection so all of that puts together to make a really cohesive great package of a person who's a lifelong learner so you took a big pivot big 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 <laughs> <laughs> And decided to become a documentary filmmaker. Yes, I did. <laughs> you talked about a chance meeting, but even that chance meeting became was because of an involvement you had in a nonprofit, yes? Well, no, the nonprofit came from the chance meeting. Oh, so, okay. So yeah. tell me, tell us how that happened and who is the yeah. mystery chance meeting with? Yeah, well, short. Well, I'll make, try to make this the short version <laughs> with a friend of mine uh, in her car, picking up her daughter from school and dropping her off at the horse barn where she worked after school. It's on a dirt road in Chester County, Pennsylvania, which is right near where I live. And she said, you know, I come up here every day and I think they're making a movie over there. And I, and it, I mean, this is the woods. We were in the woods on a dirt road and 
And I looked over and all the equipment was there. And I said, sure enough, that's true. We dropped off the daughter. We came back down and I said, let's stop. So we were looking over and I said, I bet I know who it is. Cause it was a really kind of a creepy look to this old <laughs> stone farmhouse with creepy trees. And, um, and I said, I bet it's M night Shyamalan cause he lives here and he makes creepy movies. And she was, <laughs> she was uh, yeah. So I got out my iPhone and I looked on, uh, you know, I just looked up his name and up came his website and you know, it says M. Night Shyamalan making a micro budget film in Chester County, Pennsylvania. And there's a picture of where we're sitting on his website. So I said, well, absolutely. This is this is him. And, um, you know, and on that website, there was a little red button that said Charity Buzz. And I, I didn't even know what it was, but I hit it. Went a day on the set with M. Night Shyamalan. So all of the proceeds as you were bidding on trying to win this day, would go to his nonprofit foundation, which is an educational foundation. And I was really interested in that, given my background and interest in education and global education. So I thought, well, my, and my friend is like, oh, you have to do this. This is like, it's meant to be. You took the day off, you took the afternoon off from work to hang out with me and here we are, and you have a chance to win a day on the set, go for it. So I did, I started bidding and, bid for two weeks against a dentist in New York. We kept, you know, going up and up and I was getting nervous about the amount, but then I kept justifying it by saying, well, it's going to an education foundation. So this will be good. That's what I told my husband. Um, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm up to this point. And he was like, Hey, if you really want to do it, it's your money. Um, go for it. And so short story, I won the day on the set with M night Shyamalan. Mm. And, and, and I mean more than eight hours and, um, for his film, The Visit. And uh, I was behind the camera with him and he, he was so gracious. I wasn't stuck in a corner watching. He was really talking with me about filmmaking and what he was doing and why he was doing it and asking me what I thought about the scene. And at lunch, we were sitting together and he looked at me and he said, what do you do? Because remember, <laughs> he's young. I was old enough to be his mother. He, he, had never done anything but film. So I tried to explain the senior corporate social security disability, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he kind of glazed over and looked at me and he said, what do you really want to do? And I said, oh, I want your job. And he said, well, you better hurry up. <laughs> and, and it was a joke, but honestly, you know, when something happens to you and you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, well, that happened. The bricks hit me and I was sitting there and I thought, oh my gosh, he's right. I better hurry. I was 65. I better, I better hurry up. This is what I wanted to do. I was thinking about doing this. I end up with him. He tells me I better hurry up. And that was it. And guess That's, what? He was one of your mentors. Yeah. He doesn't know it, but yes, right. he was. Right. <laughs> yes. He, he planted the seed. Right. And a very important seed about time. Yes. Like, you know, when you're, if I was 40, I'd have a lot of years to think about how I wanted to become a filmmaker, but I wasn't ready then. So at 65, I don't know how many years there would be left to figure out how to become a filmmaker. So I took his off the cuff comment very seriously and drove home late that night, walked into the house 
And my husband knew I would be excited. And he said, how was it? I said, I'm quitting my job and I'm making a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And he kind of, you know, he knows me. I'm, I'm a little crazy in that regard. And he looked at me and just said, oh, oh, okay. But that's that's what I did. Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. What's that saying when the student is ready? What I think it was Confucius, right? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yes, yes. I, I think it's so true. So that next day I went to work and I went to the CEO and I said, I'm not going to be staying for another five years. I am going to, you know, exit. I'm giving you my notice. And I gave a very long, I gave a year's notice because I needed to find, I needed to mentor somebody to take over the division that had always been mine and nobody else's in the company. And I also wanted that safety time to figure out how I was going to put this movie together. So I had the year of, you know, working and getting paid. I feel so fortunate while I was putting together how I was going to do this movie. That's incredible. And your patience, I, I, I think that would be the hardest thing for me. And my personality is, oh, I got to do this. Okay, quit everything, go. But the, even just the rational thoughts of, okay, how do we really, if I'm going to do this, how do I really make it work? I've got to do this year's time. Because also leaving something better than when you found it yes. is very important. It feels really good to have done that. <laughs> feels did, really good. Did you yeah. ever go back to him and ask him some questions or like to find the person behind the camera and to all no. of the pieces that you needed. No, you did it on your no. own. He Have knows okay. that I made a movie. We've never talked about it. His wife sent me a note at one point saying, congratulations, you know, good for you. He, he makes a movie every year. I mean, the yeah. guy, he's busy, but I have seen him a few times and he's very, you know, friendly, but I never sat with him and and said, you're the one. I think he knows because it's been in newspapers and on podcasts that, you know, I really do give credit to M. Night Shyamalan for hitting me like a ton of bricks with a question that he wasn't even thinking about. You know, it was just an off the cuff kind of response to me. So now all of a sudden year goes by and you're set up to make this documentary. Mm -hmm. How did you choose your subjects? Yeah. Well, that year at work, I actually started filming while, while I was in that year at work. I found a production company because I didn't know about camera, lights, sound, and I knew I was going to need expertise. So I found a Philadelphia um, production company to work with me on that. And then I started just Googling and asking everybody I knew of women over the age of 60 and who do you know? Could you refer me to anybody? And just looking for stories. So I spent months doing that and months cold calling people, women. And, you know, uh, and I talked to almost 100 women in this year's period. And, uh, you know, it was that in itself was exhilarating to hear all the stories that are out there. But then I knew I needed to come up with about nine. I figured I could have a feature length documentary with nine, definitely no more. Um, And I kept coming back to a couple, a few people that I had spoken with that I really connected with. 
and that seemed real interested. So, you know, it was just going back to people talking with them and then eventually saying, will you be in my film? Which I was afraid, that was my biggest fear that I was going, I'm, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker. Um, not really. I mean, I hadn't done it yet. <laughs> um, you know, it's like saying, yeah, I'm the VP of, you know, I, I hadn't done it yet, but I figured out how to do it. And I was honest with them that, you know, would you trust me with your story and trust me to put this in a film? And the weirdest thing is that all nine said yes. And that blew me away because that to me was women supporting women. You know, I mean, for all they knew, I could fail and there would be no movie at all. Um, but they were willing to go along with what it was I was trying to do. And they also all felt that women's stories were very, very important. So that's kind of how it happened. Amazing. And what I love is you start out actually with young women mm -hmm. asking questions and interviewing you. Right. There was almost a, a conversation really because yeah, there was a mutual. What, how did you come up with that? Because I love that. Yeah. My idea was to get the crew. Now, the nine women that I interviewed were, you know, all over the place, different states, whenever. And we had to travel and take a crew um, to all of these locations. My hope was to have the crew at the beginning and the end talking about the experience because the crew was all in their 20s. Um, th maybe there were one or two that were 30, but they were very young. They were men and women. And I wanted the crew, but the crew has other work and it just wouldn't have worked. And my production partner kept saying to me, nah, I like your idea, but nah, why don't we just go find some women, young women? So that's what we did. We found a group and all of the women that you see in the, at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film are um, entrepreneurs, young, young, 20s uh, in the Philadelphia area, artists and you know, um, young entrepreneurs that are just doing incredible things and very open to talking about being a woman and thinking about aging and so we thought, well, that's going to be great to piggyback, you know, all the stories with these young women um, to show that they have an interest in their future. They have an interest in learning from older women. And they have a keen understanding of the fact that storytelling can help shape the way they're going to go in life. And most of them have older women as mentors. So it was an interesting uh, way to set up and end the film, I think. So uh, we could talk about the film, but I really, I want to encourage people to go view the film. The people are fabulous. The stories are touching and inspiring and, and just as they are, like you said, everyone has a story mm -hmm. and the way that you've brought out those stories and is really wonderfully done. So how do people get to the movie Beyond 60? How yes, do they find they, it? They can find it streaming on almost every platform like Apple TV. Um, uh, why can't I think of it right now? Vimeo, Vudu, Tubi, Google TV. Um, it's, it's on almost every platform. You just go to the search bar and type in Beyond 60 and you spell out 60. 
And it's also on demand. If people still have cable TV, they go to wherever it is that they would watch a movie on demand and they type beyond 60 into the space bar and that, and you'll be able to find it um, for purchase or for sale. And the DVDs are through Amazon. It's also on Amazon Prime. Um, you know, it, it's pretty much everywhere at this point, except for Netflix. And, um, you know, we hope people will watch it. We hope that you enjoy it and get something from it. Everyone can get something from it. I just, there's not one person alive that couldn't get something from this movie. And we could talk for hours about distribution channels and what you had to learn and all of that. But I want to talk about you and I want to talk about your next project. What I want to talk about is how do you organize yourself? You have to be fairly organized, especially when you're going all over the country trying to, when you wake up in the morning, do you have a set plan? I'm going to run my day like this. Or do you wake up and see what happens? What's your what's your day to day? I'm kind like? of in the middle because I will tell you that I am. I get things done, um, and and usually in a you know a decent fashion, but I don't. I'm not terribly organized. I'm not. I can't follow. I've tried my whole life, either at work, or here, or wherever, to run off lists and you know check them off and. Be or I, that's not how I work. I work with what do I want to get done first? What feels good? So honestly, I, I usually put the things that are the hardest to the end. It's just who I am. And uh, I will procrastinate a little bit here and there um, and play with the things that I love the best. And I found that, you know, when you read management books and time management books, they tell you not to do it that way but it's who I am. And I need to be excited about what I'm going to do, but I need to also be very honest with myself and say, okay, those three things that are hard that you really don't like to do that are gonna be the most tedious work. If you do put them at the end, it means you might be pulling some all-nighters. So, you know, I have that conversation with myself and the older I get, the more tired I am. So sometimes I don't wanna do the all-nighter. So I will compensate and do a hard thing in the middle of the two fun things but <laughs> but I am not I am not terribly organized but I am very good at getting things done on time so to speak so you know and I say this to be honest and to hopefully let people know that I am not some kind of super organized person um, I'm just not so speaking of super I have a question. What do you think your superpower is then? I think my superpower is my ability to listen, my ability to hear people and to not interrupt them and to accept them where they are. Um, and I think as I got older, I think I'm better at that. I think that I'm less judgmental when I listen to a story. And I don't try to put a twist or, or how I think the story should be told, but tell the story the way it actually is and have no judgment and learn something uh, from that person or from that story. Um, and I think a lot of times people go, they may hear people's stories or they may hear something or read something, but they, they take it more at face value and they don't allow it to enter into who they are and maybe 
maybe, maybe have some type of an argument with how you might see something um, and, and get you to change your mind. I'm always trying to change my mind. I'm always trying to test to see, am I too rigid in my thought process or am I judging uh, any particular individual or instance if I think this way? And I think that comes with age. I really want to, and plus the world that we're living in, it's so divided and, you know, um, it's, it's not an easy world to live in these days. And I want to be able to understand everybody's stories. I don't want to say I'm right and you're wrong. I want to understand why I would ever think you were wrong. And what are, what is your story that makes you live where you're living as opposed to who I am? And how does that change who I am? I've changed a lot in the last 10 years, I would say. Um, that was, that's probably my biggest pivot is the last 10 years where I really started thinking about who I am, what I'm giving back to the world and, you know, and what might have put barriers up in the past. So. That's good advice to anybody who's younger listening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And to anyone, we're not too old to learn. We are not too old (laughs) to learn. Look at, look at us, Katie. We started this podcast in our sixties. We sure did. We sure did. And it's yeah. been nothing. It's been, and I think it's what you learn too of giving, of being involved in nonprofits and whatnot is the more you give, the more you get back. It just, it it's happens true. and you don't go into it because you want something back. But really we did this podcast because we've had this wealth of information in both of our lives that have intersected bubbling up. And so what's a platform to be able to share that and people can pick and choose how they want to listen. So that's been fabulous. Just like, just like your movie. Okay. What do you see when you look in the mirror? What do I see? I see a kid. I still, I still see a kid who, uh, who has still a long way to go. Who's had not great times sometimes. And, you know, I can look and say, wow, you, you made it through this circuitous route that you've been on and you're still, you know, you still feel like a kid inside, no matter how old you get, and that you know that there's still more that you can do as long as you have your health. That's what I see. I'm like, wow, you have more possibilities. What's I it going to be? That. Yeah. I love that. That's fabulous. Okay, what's next for you? What are you working on? I am in editing on my second film called Climbing Into Life. And if you are uh, any, it's a documentary film about a woman who's now over 70. And um, she just happens to be the mother of Alex Honnold, who was featured in Free Solo, the documentary. He's the one who climbed El Capitan without ropes. The only one who's ever done it in the world. Well, it's his mother. And his mother has a fascinating story. And she became the oldest woman to climb El Capitan with ropes. I will, I'll add that um, on her 60s, you know, when she was 66. And then she climbed it again at age 70 for her birthday. But her story is interesting in that she wasn't an athlete. She was never an athlete. She was a professor and an artist and a writer. And the only reason that she got into even considering 
athleticism or climbing or anything was because she wanted to be closer to her two super athlete kids. One was a bicyclist runner and the other one, uh, Alex climbs mountains all over the world. Um, you know, and he's, you know, written about daily. So her story is phenomenal. We finished filming in May out in Yosemite and at her home in Sacramento. And now uh, we're, my editor and I are trying to piece it all together to make a great cohesive story, which I'm hoping will be done by the beginning of the year. Okay, well, we'll look for that. You'll have to let us know too, because we'll definitely put it up on the podcast and on our social media platforms to let people know. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? I mean, the best thing that you can do is go to beyond60.com. Um, and there's a way to leave a message there for me. So fantastic. You know, they can write to me and I'll write back. Fantastic. And now we, you know, we, we asked you for your uh, nonprofit mm -hmm. and um, sadly, they're going to be very busy. Very. Um, so tell us who you brought to the table. The World Kitchen, which is, and I'm sure everybody's heard of it by now, but they've been in the Ukraine for a very long time. They've been in Puerto Rico and they're now in Florida and they provide meals. Uh, this is Jose Andres, who is the uh, founder. Uh, you may have seen him on television, um, but they are bringing food and they do it overnight. As soon as there is a disaster, they somehow find ways to build kitchens to bring food to people that have no ability to find food or cook food. So they're wonderful. Life-sustaining for sure. Yes. Uh, website is WCK, which is for World Central Kitchen. So WCK.org. You also let us know about a documentary uh, called We Feed People, which is on... I believe right now it's on Netflix. It has moved around, but look for it because... It is an incredible story of Jose Andres and his team. And it shows you the footage of how they set up these kitchens in places that have been completely destroyed. How they have the wherewithal to do it is amazing. He's an amazing uh, individual. As are you, we are so grateful that you have taken the time to join us. Thank you so much. Any last thoughts, Lisa? I you're you're incredible you're so easy to listen to and i got caught up in your stories and so i'm thinking oh my god you are recording a podcast lisa so you have to not that i wasn't paying attention i was just listening like you said you're very good at i'm not so good at it sometimes but <laughs> i was listening so closely and um you're you're amazing um, you're a very good role model for a lot of women. So hopefully there's women out there after listening to this podcast who will maybe make some pivots or changes and make them be a better person and a better version of themselves. Thank you. I hope so, because I, I want people to know that I am not some, I really, I'm not an incredible, I am an average person. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I am an average person. We think you're incredible. <laughs> well, I've, maybe I've done something that appears to be incredible, but I am an average person and, I, and I've had you know, many pitfalls in my life. And I want people to know that not everybody that succeeds comes from this place of wealth or you know, positivity or 
you know, had a golden path. That's not who I am. And it's not who many people are who succeed at things. It's a, it's a stick-to-itiveness that you have to learn and you have to be able to fail and say, that's okay. I'm going to get up and figure this out. So I, that's what I want people to know. I'm not some, you know, uh, incredible person that would have been born able to do this. I had to figure it out along the way. And, and that's what I want women to know, that they have the ability to do almost anything they want if they try. That's very Amen, true. sister. <laughs> That's very true. That's so true. That's so true. Really, I don't know how we can add anything to that. Let's because just end with that, Katie, because that was I perfect. Think, I think we will end with that. I think we will totally end with that. Melissa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's been great. Truly a treasure. Yeah. And we wish you all the best and we can't wait to see the next project. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Well, isn't it neat to know, and I think we both feel that way, that really there's just so much more life left to live. Yes. It doesn't matter what age you are. It's just a number, Katie. It is just a number. And I love how she felt that when she looked in the mirror, she sees a kid. Yes. That I hope more people could answer that question that way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Lisa, Instagram. We don't spend a lot of time talking about our Instagram account, but that's a fun one. I really enjoy interacting on Instagram. We're starting to get a lot of people who are interacting with us. Instagram and LinkedIn, I think are two of our probably better social media platforms. Don't you? Yes. LinkedIn for sure. And then Instagram. Yes, definitely. And we are The View in Your Mirror on both of those. We have a website, theviewinyourmirror.com, which you can go on and you can find information on us. You can link to our personal emails through there. And you can also find what our nonprofits are that we've worked on as well. And we really encourage you to rate us. Go on whatever podcast podcast platform you are on and give us a rating write a review if you have the time in your very, very busy life. At the end of the day, we know that when you look in the mirror, you see a fulfilled person with a lot of life left to give. We wish you the best. Until next time. Mm -hmm.